This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. This is ESPN New York Tonight. Here's Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer. And a very good Thursday night to everyone. Pat O'Keefe getting one more opportunity to uh, sit in for the guys here on ESPN New York Tonight. We got Jake Montgomery and uh, Jacob Perry producing the show once again on another exciting baseball day in and for the city of New York that continues with the Field of Dreams game right now out in Dyersville, Iowa. Yankees right now trailing the White Sox 7-4. of They head to the eighth inning. You heard the update at the top of the hour. The ball flying out in that hot, humid Iowa air. Five home runs, two for the Yanks, Aaron Judge, Brett Gardner, Andrew Heaney for the third time in three starts as a Yankee. Did not have it tonight. White Sox are one of the best teams in the American League. They haven't gotten a lot of attention this season. Uh, It's interesting because their pitching has carried them most of the season, and now they're starting to get guys in their lineup back, and their lineup is pretty scary. And when you pair that with one of the best pitching staffs, they're definitely going to be a team to look out for down the line. But two innings to go there. And by the way, I, I, I referenced the entertaining baseball day in uh, New York City. Of course, that has to include the Mets doubleheader sweep of the Washington Nationals. A much, much needed doubleheader sweep that we'll talk plenty about. But let's start with this Field of Dreams game because this is a first-of-its-time event. It's not a one-of-its-kind event because Major League Baseball earlier tonight announced that they will at some point return to the Field of Dreams ball field out in Iowa for another game. But a first-of-its-kind event, and really was a special, has been a very, very special night in Dyersville, Iowa. I mean, I was glued to the pregame coverage starting at 6 o'clock. They did such a terrific job kind of hitting all the notes. And then right before the game starts, the immediate pregame ceremonies, I mean, look, Kevin Costner starts it all out. He comes from out of the corn stalks. He walks onto the field. He kind of walks throughout the outfield. Um, It was silent inside the stadium. There were about 8,000 fans, a sellout crowd. It was silent as Costner's kind of walking around. On the TV broadcast, you can hear the music, the theme music from the Field of Dreams movie, which was which was pretty pretty special. And then all of a sudden, Costner looks up, and the players themselves walk out of the cornstalks, three at a time, in the batting order. They come out, they shake hands with Kevin Costner. I mean, they did it just like they did in the movies, when the players come in and come out, exit and enter from the cornstalks. You know, they come out, they, they, it was almost like Costner was hosting the event, hosting a party for 52 players between the Yankees and the White Sox. He welcomed them all in short center field. And, and the thing that really struck me is, is if you listen again, it, it was silence. And, and think about this, because this is a crowd. I mean, this was the first ever Major League Baseball game in the state of Iowa. And this is a crowd, most of whom there's a very good chance has never been to a Major League Baseball game before. So their first one that they ever go to is in their home state, not known for hosting Major League Baseball regular season games. There's one of the biggest movie stars of the planet on their field. And then all of a sudden, the New York Yankees and the Chicago White Sox are walking out in front of them. I mean, and 8,000 fans there. It was an intimate gathering. It was surreal. It was almost like the crowd was silent because they were in awe 
of the scene that was playing out in front of them. It's like they had front row seats for a movie, except this was not a movie. This was an actual Major League Baseball game. And, and you know, most of us listening have been to baseball games and many baseball games, I would imagine. And, and that's not necessarily the experience. Maybe it is your first time when you're a kid and you look at that field and you see those players who you had only seen on television. That was what I think a lot of the fans in Iowa were experiencing tonight. And it was really special uh, as a spectator who's been to plenty of baseball games to kind of take that in and see the perspective of people who were seeing this play out in front of them for the first time. And it got me thinking, I mean, that's that reaction that that crowd had is what this whole event is about it's what the movie was about it's what this special field of dreams game is all about what it's about is the fact that baseball is special baseball is a game and a sport that has stood the test of time I mean it goes back more than 12 decades major league baseball and they've been doing a great job on the TV broadcast rolling in clips and rolling in lines uh, from the movie. And one of them, as they came back from commercial, they played a portion of Terrence Mann, James Earl Jones' famous speech that he delivered on the field towards the end of the movie. And one of the lines in that speech, he says, baseball reminds us all, all of what was once good and what will be good again. And that's why we care about baseball, all right? Because it is special and it is important. And that's why we care about things like Jeff McNeil being unable to come up with a ground ball that could have ended the game. Or that's why we celebrate Pete Alonso's heroics. So that's why we watch Andrew Heaney pitch for the Yankees. And after seeing him pitch, that's why we're hoping that Garrett Cole and Jordan Montgomery can come back as soon as possible. And that's why... We have shows like this. That's why we talk about our teams every night. We talk about the frustrating Mets offense. We talk about the greatness of Jacob deGrom. We talk about the potential comeback season of the Yankees. We talk about the disappointments that Glaber Torres and Michael Conforto have been. Baseball is special, and baseball is important. And a night like tonight in Dyersville, Iowa, and they just showed a terrific aerial shot. It looked like the final scene of the movie. It's completely pitch black around the stadium right now. And all you see are the two ball fields side by side. And a night like this and seeing this scene unfold on television, 32 years after actually watching that movie and being in awe of the movie, really kind of drives home those points of how special a game baseball can be. So where, where does the movie resonate for me? Where does Field of Dreams resonate for me? And I got into this a little bit on last night's show. We, were, we had a great conversation uh, about whether or not Field of Dreams is the best baseball movie of all time. And if not, what is your favorite baseball movie? And it was a great conversation. We had 20 to 25 different baseball movies suggested. I mean, it was a lot of fun. For me, though, it comes back to Field of Dreams. So, so where does it resonate for me? For me, it reminds me of when I watched the movie for the first time. I was a 10-year-old boy. You know, when you're that age, you have a high level of innocence. Um, in many ways, and this is 32 years ago, it's a time in your life, 10 years old, that 
many ways you wish you could go back to. I mean, it reminds you of what it was like when all you had to do in your day was wake up, go to school, and play ball with your friends. And that was important, or whatever was important to you at the time. But that's, that, was all, that, was, that was on your plate. You know, there was no work. There were no responsibilities. There were no bills. There, you know, that was it. And, and when I watch Field of Dreams, I think back to where I was at that point in my life. And tonight, watching this game in this scene in the middle of America, in, in many ways, it, it felt to me like a sense of going back in time. And for a few hours, watching this game and this scene unfold, you know, you could forget about John Carlos Stanton's albatross of a contract. You could forget about the 20 Yankees who are currently on the injury list. It was just about baseball. And, and to paraphrase again, Terrence Mann, baseball is what brings us all together, baseball fans that we are. And, and look, Hollywood is Hollywood for a reason, um, but Hollywood's good at what it does, and it's able to stir emotions within you. And that's what the movie did 32 years ago, and that's what they did tonight. I mean, look, that was played up. Kevin Costner walking out, dramatically pacing the outfield. I mean, that was as Hollywood as Hollywood gets. But that's why we go to movies, though, because Hollywood's good at what it does. Just like that's why we go to baseball games, because baseball games, for those of us who enjoy going to them, it makes you feel good. It can remind you of a time in your life, much, much, much earlier in your life, where you were doing that. And I think for most of us, those are pretty good times to think about. And that's why we go to movies, because going to movies, if they're well done, and Field of Dreams certainly was, going to movies makes us feel good. And that's what tonight was all about. So I'm curious if, if the events of tonight, if you watched the pregame ceremonies, the game, I thought they did a great job tying the movie in with the scene around the game tonight. I'm curious if it stirred anything within you. Because it certainly did for me. It brought back a lot of memories for me of when I got to watch that movie for the first time. And what life was like for me that time in my existence. And I'm curious if it stirred anything within you. Or am I just overblowing it and all it is for you is another example of how the Yankees don't have enough pitching and how they can't come through with a clutch hit. So 1-800-919-3776 is the number to call. Curious your thoughts on the evening in Dyersville, Iowa. Maybe you're still glued to the game. Uh, Yankees are hanging in there, trailing 7-4 in the eighth inning. Um, 1-800-919-3776. We'll get into the Mets, obviously. What a day. What a 24 hours it's been for the Mets. A season-altering 24 hours. I mean, that remains to be seen, but there's potential for that. And I know a lot of conversation earlier with Larry regarding the Jets, regarding the Giants. We'll get into all of it. It's Pat O'Keefe in for Larry and Gordon on ESPN New York tonight. As a kid, you get a, you dream of getting a chance to play Major League Baseball. You know, you, you watch certain certain movies or you know heroes in comic books or you know fairy tales, and getting a chance to actually be at the Field of Dreams and play a game here, and you know have family and friends here, and get a chance to represent the Yankees here. That's there's <laughs> um, you know never in my life would I ever think I'd experience this. You know, so I, I had so many friends back home texting me and calling me saying they're excited to watch. It's you know pumped for me to be here, and this is. Uh, 
I can't really describe it. Like, like I said, it's a dream come true. All right, that was Aaron Judge prior to walking through those corn stalks and onto the ball field in Dyersville, Iowa, for tonight's Field of Dreams game, which the Yankees trail right now 7-4, to four, heading into the bottom of the eighth inning. Craig Kimbrell pitching a scoreless top of the eighth. So if the Yankees are going to come back tonight, they're going to have to do it against White Sox closer Liam Hendricks, one of the best in all of baseball. But to, for me tonight, and I understand this is a very important game for the Yankees because, look, it's the middle of August right now. They're outside of the playoff picture looking in. They have teams to chase down, and they've got another team in the Blue Jays within their own division right on their heels. So I get all of that. I get it's an important game. But you know what? For one night, for me anyway, just watching this game and this scene in Iowa at the Field of Dreams really was more important than just the game. One out of 62 regarding the game. This was a a once-in-a-lifetime experience for so many of these guys, and you could just tell the reaction by these players as they look everybody has seen this movie everybody who was playing in that game tonight has seen this movie and it's not and we were talking about this last night in the context of our conversation about the best baseball movies the best ones to me are the ones that aren't just about baseball the ones that are interesting to the non-baseball fan alike that's when you know you've got something special and field of dreams for all of its themes about baseball and all of its baseball players as characters in the movie is not just about baseball. I mean, it's an emotional journey. It's an emotional roller coaster. It's a story of redemption. Uh, It's a story of forgiveness. And it's a story and a movie that is popular to baseball and non-baseball fans alike, which is why I think, at least to me anyway, Tonight's game resonated so strongly and so deeply within many. So I'm curious how people felt watching this. 1-800-919-3776. Also, was it just Yankee fans tuning in for this game? Or, or, is, it, or is it a baseball thing? I mean, were baseball fans uh, making it a point to watch this game tonight? Not because they're rooting for the Yankees or because they're rooting against the Yankees. Just because this movie or this scene or this field meant something to them and they wanted to see what it was all about and if so did you come away disappointed or did it stir something within you as for the game again bottom of the eighth inning uh yankees trailing the white Sox seven to four regarding the game and we just heard from aaron judge a moment ago uh he hit an absolute blast to right field deep into the corn stalks that gave the yankees a three to one lead in the top of the third inning. Brett Gardner also added a home run. The White Sox have slugged three home runs and route to their 7-4 to four lead right now. As for the game, though, what's clear is that Andrew Heaney, who made the start, his third start since the Yankees acquired him right before the trade deadline, he is not the answer. And the Yankees are obviously extremely shorthanded right now. But Andrew Heaney is not the answer. It's his third start. It's his third straight mediocre start. He started over the weekend on Saturday against the Mariners. He actually did an excellent job that game because he came out and gave up four runs in the first two innings and then was able to hold the Mariners right there the rest of the way to give the Yankees a chance to win, which they ultimately did coming back to win. But he's made three starts. He hasn't given up fewer than four runs in any of his three starts. He's not the answer. You you did hear some good news during the game. Garrett Cole uh, did a live interview with Joe Buck and John Smoltz. uh, Smoltz. It looks like Cole is going to come back 
sometime next week. Jordan Montgomery, not far behind Cole. Luis Severino is not far behind either. You've got Jamison Tyone, who's been as good as any pitcher in the American League for about a month and a half right now. So reinforcements are on the way, but the Yankees have won nine of their last ten series. Uh, they're down seven to four in the first game of this three-game set. Off day tomorrow, and then they head to Chicago to play on Saturday and Sunday. So if they're going to make it 10 series wins out of their last 11, it looks like they're going to have their work cut out for them unless they come back tonight against one of the best closers in the major leagues. Meanwhile, at City Field on Thursday, the Mets, and what a 24 hours it's been for them. It was one of those had-to-have-it, not only games, but had to have it days. And, and I laid out the reasons for that last night. And for me, it's based largely on the upcoming schedule. Now it gets really interesting because the Mets' next 13 games, beginning Friday night, are against the top two teams in the National League. They've got seven games against the Dodgers, and they've got six games against the Giants. And those are their next 13 games. If you go six and seven in those 13 games, I think you're thrilled if you're a Mets fan, considering how good those teams are, considering it's going to involve a couple of cross-country flights before they're finished playing those 13 games. If you can go 6-7, and seven, I think you come away thrilled, which means that you had to have these three games this week against Washington. And think about how this Mets National Series started on Tuesday. Tuesday night, City Field, first inning, Juan Soto, three-run home run. And shortly after that, in the top of the second, with a Washington runner on base, the skies opened up. It never stopped raining. They suspended the game. And the Mets knew, starting Wednesday afternoon at City Field, they were going to have to begin a doubleheader, already trailing 3-1 to one in the second inning to the Nationals. They come from behind to win that game. And then the second game last night was postponed, leading to today's doubleheader. And here's what the Mets need right now. I mean, the Mets need a lot right now. But their needs in order, for me, are, number one, they need wins. That's the most obvious right now. The Mets need wins. Number two, they need offense. And number three, they need to show some resiliency. And that's why this series against Washington was so important, because... They accomplished all three of those things really in the span of about 24 hours. They had to come from behind to win the first game yesterday. A good offensive display in that game. A good offensive display in game two today. And again, they had to show some resiliency because the Mets were a out away from a doubleheader sweep. Two outs, two runners on, two run lead. Top of the seventh inning, seventh and final inning, and a ground ball to second base that Jeff McNeil, at minimum, has to keep in the infield. He should have come up with the ground ball, fielded it cleanly, thrown to first base, ended the game, and gotten out of city field. He couldn't do that, and not only could he not do that, he couldn't keep the ball in the infield, which meant the runner from second base was able to come around and score and tie the game. It was an, For where we were in that game and the importance of that game, it was inexplicable to me that Jeff McNeil couldn't keep that ball in the infield. But like I spoke about yesterday, yesterday... 
for once, the pitching needed the offense to pick it up, and it did. Rich Hill did not pitch well yesterday. The Mets' offense picked up the pitching staff. They won game one of this series. They won game two of this series, game one of today's doubleheader. Brandon Nimmo with four RBIs. And then in game three, you're one pitch away, you're one out away, and all of a sudden, you're tied. You're going to the bottom of the seventh inning. And that's where, look, that's where your star players have to come up with the biggest plays. And the Mets did that, courtesy of Pete Alonzo. Let's take a listen if we can. Oh, we've always been such a resilient group. I mean, we, we've been coming back all year long. We've been fighting. We've never been out of it, uh, despite um, despite where we're at in the game. And I, I think that this team, it's just built with a bunch of high-character guys. We have so much talent, but I've been saying this all year long. I mean, the amount of character that we have in that clubhouse, the amount of fight, resiliency, and grit, its I, I think it's unparalleled. I, I really do. And for us, its we have a really special group. And um, we're willing to go full throttle. Look, after the Philadelphia series over the weekend, when the Mets limped into this series against Washington, and Alonzo gave that somewhat curious answer about how the team is 100% committed and they got this and they're going to take care of this, it, it sounded a little off. And, you know, I don't know if it sounds, I don't know if insincere is, is the right word. Tone deaf, maybe it could have sounded a little bit. But look, if you're going to come out and you're going to make statements like that, and we know Alonzo's the leader or one of the clear leaders of this Mets team, all right, if you're going to come out and be the guy to get out in front of this and make those types of statements and really put yourself out there, then you've got to back it up. And that's exactly what Pete Alonzo did with his walk-off home run in the bottom of the seventh inning to earn the doubleheader sweep and to earn the three-game sweep against the Washington Nationals. So the Mets win game one, four to one. They win game two, five to four. And for me, it, it reminded me of 2015. I mean, it was this time of year, right? Mets, Nationals, City Field, right after the Ioannis Cespedes trade, right after the Wilmer Flores non-trade that resulted in him crying in the middle of the game on the infield because he thought he was leaving New York. And then there was that Washington game on a Friday night that went into extra innings, and Wilmer Flores hits the walk-off home run, the biggest hit of that season for the Mets. And that's kind of what turned everything around. I mean, obviously, Cespedes was the guy who carried them the rest of the way offensively, and their pitching was magnificent. But it, it, it brought back a lot of memories for me. I mean, will we be looking back at this three-game series against Washington in two months and thinking that's when things turned around for the Mets. We could be because, number one, they had to stop the bleeding, and they did that. Number two, they had to start building some momentum, and they did that. And at the same time, while doing both of those things, they started to hit the baseball, and they started to show some resiliency, and that's all good for the Mets. Now, as far as the division goes, Philadelphia avoided the sweep. They beat the Dodgers. The Braves lose, so the Mets actually hop over the Braves back into second place. Mets and Phillies are tied in the loss column. Mets are a half game back of Philly, who is in uh, first place right now, and the Mets are one half game against Atlanta. So those three teams, the Phillies, the Mets, and the Braves, are all separated by one game in the standings in the National League East. Their schedule coming up, 
three games this weekend against the Dodgers, and then you go to San Francisco for three games. And how about this? They play a Sunday night game at City Field against the Dodgers. Then they've got to fly cross-country to San Francisco without a day off and play on Monday night. That's absurd. I mean, come on. You know, don't give them the Sunday night game. I understand it's Mets-Dodgers, but you can't give a team, if you want that to be your Sunday night game, let them have Monday off. I mean, that's a poor job by the schedule makers, and that's a rough one because every one of these games is so important, and they're going to have to play a night game and then fly to San Francisco and play the very next night. That's not fair. But anyway, you go to San Francisco for three. You go to the Dodgers for four. Then you have a day off. And then you fly back to City Field for three more games against the San Francisco Giants. So 13 games in all. I say if you can go six and seven in those 13 games, you are extremely happy with yourself. Because I don't see the Phillies and I don't see the Braves running away with this division in their next 13 games. And furthermore, after this 13-game stretch, if the Mets can just simply tread water during this 13-game stretch, after that, their next 14 games are also against just two teams. Except those two teams are the Washington Nationals and the Miami Marlins. So for the Mets, it's simple. I mean, that's basically the next month of your season. You're playing four teams. L.A., San Fran, Washington, Miami. Tread water against the two California teams, and then you get those 14 games against the Nats and against the Marlins, and that's where you can reclaim your spot atop this division. And also, if everything goes well, that would also coincide with you-know-who, hopefully, coming back from the injured list in Jacob DeGrom. So that's the plan for the Mets the next 27 games. Tread water the next 13. Try and go 6-7. Six and 7-6 seven. Seven and six would be even better. And then after that, you've really got to clean up on the bottom dwellers in the National League East. But a huge week against the Nationals. Uh, we'll hear more from the Mets clubhouse. We'll hear the game-winning home run call. And your calls, of course, as well. 1-800-919-3776. It's Pat O'Keefe on ESPN New York tonight. <laughs> coming, and Alonzo hits a high fly ball to left. Back goes Stevenson to the warning track at the wall, and it's out of here! Pete Alonzo wins it with a towering walk-off home run! Gary Cohen, the call on SNY, just an enormous, enormously important home run for Pete Alonzo after the Mets blew a three-run lead in the top of the seventh and final inning including just a a head-scratching play by Jeff McNeil, unable to keep a routine ground ball that he had to range to his left for, unable to keep that in the infield to prevent the tying run from scoring. You can imagine the feeling in the Met dugout, here we go again, especially the way they've been playing lately. I mean, 2-8 and coming into this series, 5-13 and in their last 18 games. They come from behind to win yesterday. They win somewhat handily in game one of today's doubleheader. And now you're three outs away entering that seventh inning from a three-game sweep against the Nats only to blow the save. And you've got to be thinking, God, we just blew a golden opportunity. And Pete Alonzo, well, he wouldn't let them blow that golden opportunity. Just a, a mammoth home run for Alonzo. Mets beat the Nats 5-4 to four on his walk-off home run. So overall now, the Mets are... 59 and 55 these three straight wins 
We have moved them back to four games above 500. And again, right now they're tied in the loss column with the Phillies for first place in the National League East. They're one half game behind Philadelphia. Meanwhile, in the Field of Dreams game, the Yanks are down to their final out, trailing 7-4 in the top of the ninth inning. They do have a runner on first base. Aaron Judge, who has a three-run home run in this game, is at the plate for the Yankees against White Sox closer Liam Hendricks. So we'll keep you updated on that. As for the Mets... Three games coming up this weekend against the Dodgers at City Field, including the Sunday nighter uh, on Sunday evening. Uh, Alonzo, after his walk-off home run, spoke about the significance of these next 13 games over the next two weeks against only the Dodgers and the Giants. I mean, it's a huge, huge test for us. And, um, I mean, it's there's a, a lot of potential. Like, who... Who are we going to face in the playoffs? Like, what? Who's going to win? Who's going to lose? But these are, um, I mean, over this, over this stretch, we got a lot of high quality teams that we're gonna that we're gonna play, and uh, this is uh, these games are, yeah, they're they're really important. But this is a, this is this is a kind of a, a show me show me uh, stretch. Like, what what are we, what are we made of? How can we uh, really? impact the game and how can and how our plans kind of how our game plan uh can be executed so it's going to be a fun series for us i mean uh there's going to be a lot of talent that we're going to be playing against um i mean not not just the two weeks but for the rest of the year we gotta um we really have to keep sticking together and, and keep working together and i think that if we continue to do that keep playing as a team having each other's backs i think that we're going to come out um we're going to come out very successful all right, back to Alonzo and the Mets in just a second. But uh, while he was speaking, Aaron Judge, his second home run of the night, another monster blast, this one to right center field, again, into the corn stalks out there in Iowa. Well, any, any home run goes into the corn stalks. Uh, Yankees still down to their final out, but it's 7-6 to six now with Joey Gallo at the plate. Gallo came up in the biggest spot of the game in the top of the seventh inning. The bases were loaded, two outs, Yankees trailing 7-4. to four. He absolutely smoked the first pitch he saw up the middle, but it was right into the shift. Tim Anderson, the shortstop, was standing right behind second base. He fielded it, stepped on the bag, ended the inning. Another chance here for Joey Gallo. Uh, Yankees now trailing by a run in the top of the ninth inning, 7-6. to six. Uh, Liam Hendricks trying to close it out for the White Sox. So Alonzo and the Mets uh, sweep the Nationals three straight games onto facing the Los Angeles Dodgers and then seven games out west against the Giants and the Dodgers. So uh, you know, I'm curious, these three games against the Nationals, much ado about nothing because of the quality or lack thereof of the opponent or... Could this be a launching point for the Mets? I mean, let's be honest. It's not a bad Mets team. They spent the majority, the vast majority of the season in first place of the National League East. They obviously went through a significant cold spell for about 50, 52 games leading into this three-game series against the Nationals. So, Mets fans, do you feel better about your team because of the way these three games played out? 1-800-919-3776. I think the Mets fans should feel better, not just because they beat the Nationals, but what was important to me was how they beat them, having to come back in game one, having to come back from, you know, really adversity, disappointment after they blew the lead in the seventh inning in game two today as Joey Gallo walks. So the tying run for the Yankees is on first base with, I believe, John Carlos Stanton coming to the plate. Sorry, I, I couldn't say that without laughing. All right, let, 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 let's, let, let's talk about the Yankees for one second because this game's gotten very interesting. 
I mean, sometimes it just finds guys, right? And uh, and John Carlos Stanton, ever since coming to the Yankees, happens to be one of those guys. And right now, he's up as the potential go-ahead run in a seven to six ball game, and we'll see if he can come through in a huge spot right here. And I'm, I'm looking at Aaron Judge right now, and it's funny sometimes you know marketing and uh, reality collide. Because for two years, we've been hearing about this Field of Dreams game because it was supposed to be played last year. They started advertising this game, I think, late in the 2019 season. And, of course, who was the face of this game? It was Aaron Judge. I mean, the first commercial you saw advertising this Field of Dreams game, it was a spoof off the scene where Stulis Joe Jackson in the movie meets Ray Kinsella on the field, and he asks if this is heaven, and Kevin Costner turns and says, no, this is Iowa. And it was Aaron Judge in the role of Shoeless Joe Jackson in that commercial. And Giancarlo Stanton, first pitch he sees deep to left field. And the Yankees have taken an 8-7 lead. My goodness. <laughs> My goodness. Wow, I haven't heard the chime in a while. The Holy cow. The Yankees just scored four runs in the top of the ninth inning against arguably the best closer in baseball right now. And it was Aaron Judge and it was Giancarlo Stanton. As if this night wasn't special enough. And I went on a whole soliloquy at the beginning of the show about what a special and surreal night it was in Dyersville, Iowa. And now all of a sudden, Judge, two-run home run to make it a one-run ball game. Stanton, two-run home run. And the Yankees now have an 8-7 lead. First pitch he saw, too. Wow. Stanton's biggest moment as a Yankee? It might be. It might be. All right, let's regroup. We're going to step away for a second. Uh, more on the Mets. We'll continue to keep you updated on this wild game. It'll be very interesting to see who the Yankees bring in to try to close this game out in the bottom of the ninth inning. And then I promise we will get to the uh, Jets and we'll get to uh, Saturday's preseason opener at MetLife Stadium between the Jets and the Giants. All of that coming up. It's Pat O'Keefe in for Gordon and Larry on ESPN New York tonight. All right, Pat O'Keefe here on ESPN New York tonight, 98.7 ESPN New York. Wow. Still trying to recover from what I just saw in the top of the ninth inning of this Field of Dreams game. The Yankees score four runs in the top of the ninth inning off of White Sox closer Liam Hendricks. Here's how it unfolds. Uh, Tyler Wade, who's been unbelievable over the last week, playing by far the best baseball of his career, leads off with a single, and then back-to-back -back strikeouts by DJ LeMayhew and Brett Gardner. And then with two outs, Aaron Judge homers to right center field to make it a 7-6 to six game. Still down by a run. Joey Gallo walks, and then Giancarlo Stanton, I believe on the first pitch he saw. It was. The first pitch Stanton saw smokes a home run to left field a two-run home run to give the Yankees an 8-7 lead. Luke Voigt struck out to end the inning. 
Zach Britton is on to try to close out what would be an improbable come-from-behind win for the Yankees against the White Sox. I mean, it is funny how things turn, and it's not over yet, but these were the games. How many games like this did the Yankees lose earlier this season? So Britain is three outs away. It's not going to be easy because it is the uh, top of the order, I believe, due up for the White Sox here in the ninth inning. So we'll keep you updated on that. This could turn out to be the best baseball day in New York this season. And there's been, you know, not a lot of good ones. <laughs> this might be the best one between what the Mets did earlier, sweeping a doubleheader, including a walk-off home run by Pete Alonso after nearly throwing the second game away by blowing a three-run lead in the top of the seventh and final inning, coming back and winning that. And now you have the Yankees. They were down in this game 7-3, to three, then it was 7-4. to four, And now after a ground out to first base to lead off the ninth inning, the Yankees are two outs away against the White Sox. So 1-800-919-3776. We're going to put a bow on all of this um, when it is concluded. And then we'll also touch on the Giants and Jets preseason opener and get into what's transpired in both of their camps the last week and specifically over the last 24 hours. Let's go back to the Mets, though, because they do get that walk-off win, 5-4 on the Alonzo home running game two after winning game one, 4-1, and four RBIs from Brandon Nimmo. And again, you're starting to get production from throughout that lineup. And that's so important right now for the Mets because the pitching isn't something that you can count on day in and day out. Although Marcus Stroman continues to get it done. And what an unbelievable addition he's been for this Mets team. I mean, how important is Marcus Stroman? Marcus Stroman is the best pitcher on the Mets. I mean, at no point at all this season did you ever think that was the case. I mean, it was obviously DeGrom for the vast majority of the season. And then Taiwan Walker was the number two starter. Marcus Stroman has pitched well throughout. Right now, he is clearly, clearly the ace of this pitching staff until Jacob DeGrom, hopefully, is able to come back. So he does a good job in game one and a couple of relief pitchers as the Mets win that one 4-1. to one. And the Yankees are still two outs away because it looked like they had a ground out to third base, but it was a foul ball. Now, as for the Mets, uh, Louis Rojas, after their doubleheader sweep of the Nationals, talking about their next 13 games over the next two weeks facing the Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants. We get ready to play any team the same way. Um, I don't think we shy away uh, because of the talent or the run differential that you may see in the standings, which is unbelievable. Uh, by these two teams, um, we pay attention from afar. Uh, we got pro- we're studying them now more thoroughly, as we're gonna uh, since we're gonna play them tomorrow. Uh, but I think everyone here is in the same weight class. I mean, you we went to Pittsburgh, and you know, you, you think Pittsburgh is gonna be, um, you know, a team that's gonna underperform against you? Like no, like they they play really good baseball against us, and they 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 beat us there. Uh, so you got to prepare the same way against uh, against all the teams that you're gonna face. Um, Padres came in here and they said the same thing about the Padres. You know, as as much talent as they have, and we also had a had a pretty good series against them. So we just got to keep doing what we do. We got to know ourselves. I think we do that. We know ourselves. It's good to see that the bats are um, getting hot right now, and uh, you know, we just want to see that carry over uh, in this weekend series against the Dodgers. 
Well, make no mistake about it. The Mets offense, the Mets bats are what is going to have to carry them over this next period of time until they can get their pitching staff back whole. And again, back whole means Jacob DeGrom on top of it. You could figure it out from there. If DeGrom isn't able to come back this season at full strength, I think everything else is a moot point, to be honest. I mean, you're not going to get into the playoffs. And even if you do get into the postseason without Jacob DeGrom, how much of a threat are you really to make a run? If you have DeGrom, the entire equation is changed. So a one-out walk for the White Sox. Uh, Zach Britton has allowed a walk and recorded an out. So the Yanks are still two outs away here in the bottom of the ninth inning, leading 8-7. to seven. Louis Rojas said a couple of interesting things. The run differential for the Dodgers and the Giants. Now, the Dodgers have had such a, a weird season. Their run differential, they have outscored opponents by 181 runs this season. Just to put that into perspective, the next largest run differential in Major League Baseball is the Houston Astros, and Britain just gave up a walk-off two-run home run. So there goes that, one of the best baseball days in New York, uh, New York City this season. Uh, who hit that home run, Jake? Was that, was that Tim Anderson? Wow. I mean, God. Yeah, this it, was, was, it was Tim Anderson. Wow. I'm sorry. I'm crying here in the studio. <laughs> that was uh, first pitch, too, right? Just like Stanton's? It was one of the pitches. I don't know if it was the first one. Everything is a blur right now to me. I mean, you told me during the commercial break that you were out of breath because of the Judge and Stanton home runs. How are you feeling now? I legit ran out of the studio, called my dad to make sure that – because he all day he was excited for this game. And I said, Dad, um, like I, I can't believe they just scored four runs in the ninth. And the first thing he said to me is, they're still a bottom of the ninth and they have to close it out. And he was – 100% right. Yeah, I mean, Br Britain blows it. Britain hasn't been the same since he's come back from I.O. No, he hasn't. I was surprised he was in there today. You could have gone Lewisaga. Green probably wasn't the answer. Uh, they're trying to force feed Zach Britton into that spot while Aroldis Chapman is out, and they got burned tonight, and, and they gave up a golden opportunity. I mean, come on. You score four runs and have a comeback like that in the top of the ninth inning, and you can't hold it. And Britton recorded the first out, I think, on one or two pitches, a ground ball to first base. And then he gets ahead of the next batter, 0-2, and loses him and walks him. And then Tim Anderson steps into the batter's box and clocks a walk-off two-run home run. So the, the Field of Dreams game, wow. I mean, Major League Baseball could not, could not have asked for anything more. And I started the show by going on and on and on about how special everything was pregame. The Kevin Costner, the players coming through the corn stalks, the scenics around the stadium, just the eerie silence of the fans who were there just in awe of what was playing out in front of them. That all, to me, hit the right notes. And then they get a game like that. I mean, just unbelievable. I mean, brutal loss for the Yankees. But what a game for Major League Baseball. You get how many home runs did we end up with in this game? Seven home runs, Abreu, Judge, Jimenez, Zavala, Gardner, Judge again, Stanton, and Anderson. You got eight home runs. I mean, you think humidity doesn't matter for home runs? I mean, it was about 110 degrees, I think, uh, in Iowa at the start of that game tonight. Or at least it felt like 110 degrees. The balls were flying out of that makeshift ballpark. So there you go. Yankees score four runs. In the top of the ninth inning to take an 8-7 lead. And then Zach Britton can't close it out. 
records an out, gives up a walk, and gives up a walk-off two-run home run to Tim Anderson. And I talked about how marketing and reality collided in this game. The two faces of the Field of Dreams game in all of the promos and all of the commercials you saw, for the Yankees, it was Aaron Judge. And for the White Sox, it was Tim Anderson. I mean, Major League Baseball could not have scripted this any better. Judge hits two home runs, including a two-run shot in the top of the ninth inning to pull the Yankees within a run before Stanton hits a two-run home run to give the Yankees a one-run lead. And then in the bottom of the ninth inning, Tim Anderson, one of the bright, young, exciting, energetic stars in Major League Baseball, walks it off with a two-run home run to right field. He's talking to Tom Verducci right now on, on the field. Verducci wearing some kind of hat. <laughs> if you get a chance to uh, take a look, it's, uh, it's something. So anyway, that's how, that's how that one ends. 9-8, uh, White Sox over the Yankees. Yankees have won nine of their last ten series. This one, they have their work cut out for them because they've already dropped their first game. So when we uh, come back after our quick break here, uh, we'll reset what just happened in Iowa, start to finish, and, and what a finish it was. Uh, we'll hear some post-game reaction from the Yanks. Uh, we'll look ahead to Giants-Jets, uh, MetLife Stadium on Saturday. Uh, and, and just your, your thoughts on the night in general, the scene around the game, were you watching it strictly from the perspective of a Yankees fan or an anti-Yankees fan wanting to see the Yankees win or lose specifically? Or did you get caught up in what this night was and what this night meant and what this night represented? Because I got to be honest with you, as I said earlier, I did. I thought this was a really, really special night. And, you know, it brought you back and it jogged a lot of memories and emotions about things that are great about the game of baseball. First and foremost among them is just the long history and the generation-to-generation aspect of Major League Baseball. And I thought this game and this broadcast tonight touched on a lot of those. 1-800-919-3776. We'll open the phone lines when we come back. It's Pat O'Keefe on ESPN New York tonight. This is ESPN New York Tonight. A crossroads moment for the Yankees in the cornfields of Iowa? Well, time will tell. But the Yankees, the best record in Major League Baseball since the All-Star break, entering Thursday night's Field of Dreams game. The only blemishes, really, on the Yankees' ledger since the beginning of July have been some of the most brutal, gut-wrenching losses that a team can experience. You go back to the 4th of July, Aroldis Chapman implodes in game one of a doubleheader against the Mets. How about the final game before the All-Star break in Houston? The Yankees on the verge of wrapping up a 5-1 road trip, a three-game sweep against the Astros, only to give up a walk-off three-run home run to Jose Altuve, of all people, in the bottom of the ninth, having to watch him have his jersey ripped off at Minute Maid Park as they celebrated another instance of beating the Yankees. After the All-Star break, what about the night at Fenway Park? 
Four wild pitches in the 10th inning by Brooks Kriske, and the Yankees blow a late lead to the Boston Red Sox, only to be outdone two days later when Domingo Herman carried a no-hitter and a 4-0 lead into the 8th inning, and the Yankees not only didn't get the no-hitter, they didn't get the win. But when we look back on this season, what happened tonight in Iowa has got to be mentioned right up there with those other brutal, devastating losses. Look, first of all, the Field of Dreams game, and I talked about it last hour, and we can get into it if you want, 1-800-919-3776. From a baseball fan perspective, from a sentimental perspective, from a quote-unquote Hollywood perspective, I thought everything before the game, the players walking out of the corn stalks onto the field, Kevin Costner leading them out onto the field, coming through those same corn stalks. The pregame ceremonies were fantastic. The scenics were fantastic. Everything was great. It hit all the right notes. It was really a phenomenal night to be a baseball fan. And then the game unfolded, and frankly, it looked like it wasn't going to be the Yankees' night. Andrew Heaney, for the third time in three starts as a Yankee, didn't have it. He wasn't really able to keep them in the game. But the Yankees somehow battled back in the top of the ninth inning against one of the best closers in baseball as Aaron Judge hit a two-run home run to pull the Yankees within a run. Joey Gallo walked. Giancarlo Stanton followed with a two-run home run of his own. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the Yankees had an 8-7 to lead, three outs away from maybe their best win of the season. Aroldis Chapman is on the injured list. So Aaron Boone calls on Zach Britton. And that was a mistake. Britton got the first batter on a grounder to first. He walked the second after jumping out ahead of him 0-2. And then Tim Anderson, first pitch, right field, walk-off, two-run home run. The eighth and final home run of the game. From a Major League Baseball perspective, from an entertainment perspective, the game itself, really everything, everything they could have hoped for right up to and including a four-run comeback in the top of the ninth inning and then a walk-off win in the bottom of the ninth inning on home runs by some of the biggest stars in Major League Baseball. From a Yankees perspective, we have seen this movie, pun intended, too many times this season. And at what point, at what point is this going to catch up to them? Because now the Yankees are 63 and 52. They're 11 games above 500. They're in danger of falling back into fourth place in the American League East, depending on what Toronto does against the Angels tonight. And it is an uphill climb for the Yankees because of their shoddy play the first two and a half months of the season. That's why, on a night like tonight, when you take a one-run lead into the bottom of the ninth inning. That is, especially in the manner in which you grab that one-run lead, that is a game you have to win. And it's becoming abundantly clear what the Yankees' biggest issue is now. And it's their late-inning relief pitching. One game, Loisaga looks, looks unhittable. Another game, he struggles. Same with Chad Green. Same with Zach Britton. Except in Britain's case, I don't remember the last time he looked unhittable. Maybe 2016 when he was pitching for the Baltimore Orioles. 
But that is a huge issue that once again creeped up and bit the Yankees at the Field of Dreams in Iowa tonight. White Sox win 9-8. Great game. Great atmosphere. Great scene. Great night for baseball. A horrific, horrific night for the New York Yankees. Just a terrible loss. Because sometimes the worst losses, if they lost 7-3, to three, they were down 7-3. to three. And you know what I mean, Yankee fans. If you're down 7-3 to three late in the game, just lose 7-3. to three. You go home, you lick your wounds, you have a day off tomorrow, you go to Chicago, you try to get a split or win both of those games, and you move on from there. But having to sit on this loss when you were so close to the best win of the season, or one of the best wins of the season, a brutal, brutal ending once again for the Yankees. All right, let's go to the phones. 1-800-919-3776. Let's lead things off with Jimmy and Bayonne. Jimmy, how you feeling? I'm not feeling great, Pat. How you feeling? Uh, you know, I've been better. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, oh, my God. It, uh, you, you, you just made a comment that I didn't like. You said that uh, Zach Brent hasn't been good since... 17, 16, 17. He's getting 18 and 19 with the Yankees. Yeah, he was all right. He was all right. He, I mean, he has he has never reached the heights that he was when he was the closer of the Orioles with the Yankees. I know, but the, 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 the thing that's so frustrating is that the back end of the bullpen, they, they depend on these guys that, that they, they, they had their heyday, but then now all of a sudden they're they're not so good anymore, and they still act like they're like they can depend on them. And it's just so frustrating. I was so excited during the game, and and now uh, I don't know, man. I'm just disappointed. I was so excited when they took the lead. I, I was so in on the game. I'm like, I. I I don't know, man. Well, especially from the perspective, and tell me if you agree with this point, Jimmy. I mean, as a Yankee fan, how long have you been clamoring for Stanton to have a moment like he had in the top of the ninth inning? Because, listen, like him or not, and, and I think more Yankee fans dislike Stanton than like him, but like him or not, if Stanton does well, that obviously increases the team's chances of succeeding. So how long were you waiting for Stanton to have a moment like that? I've been so out on Stanton for so long, and my brother and my cut, uh, you know, I have a couple of family members that are Yankee fans. They they always bust my chops and say, you know, when he goes on his hot streaks, they're like, oh, he's the guy you've been, you know, busting on all this time. And then he goes into his slumps again. But then when he hit that home run, I was so excited. I'm like, here we go, we're going to win the game. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's, it's done. It's I, Dude, I was pumped. I'm like, Stanton did it. I, I, I mean, I'm rooting for him, of course. I'm a Yankee fan. When he, when he took us through the, the playoff, uh, the, the playoff streak last year when he was tearing it up, I was pumped. But then, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, I'm just, I'm tired of it. Well, there have been a lot of them this season, Jimmy, and thanks for the call. There have been a lot of games like this and finishes like this. I can't remember a season in which 
and I just laid out five of them since the beginning of July. I can't remember a season in which the Yankees have endured so many losses of this manner, you know? I mean, a, a, not all losses are created equal. You know, you, you, you don't get on the plane or you don't get on the bus after every loss feeling the exact same way. I mean, this one has to sting. And look, I was being a, a, a little facetious when I said Zach Britton hasn't been good since 2016. Now, he, he was okay when the Yankees picked him up. He's never been, look, I, I think it was 2016, the year that he pitched for the Orioles. I actually thought he should have won the Cy Young Award that year. Zach Britton had a singular season for the Baltimore Orioles that statistically was the best season I think a closer has ever had. And he didn't even come close to winning the Cy Young, which told me that if Britton that season couldn't win the Cy Young Award as a closer, then I don't think a closer is ever going to win the Cy Young Award again. The Yankees, that's not the guy the Yankees have. And at no point since trading for him has he been the guy that the Yankees have. You know, he's, he's more good than bad. Over the course of his Yankee tenure, this season, though, far more bad than good. Injuries have played a part, but since he's come back, he hasn't looked good. And, and you know, if I'm, and I'm sure it will be asked of Aaron Boone and we'll try to hear from him, why was Britton in the game? Why was he the choice? Why wasn't it Loisaga? I mean, here's the problem, though. There's no easy choice. I, I, I would have gone Loisaga, but maybe... He was on a pitch count, or he was resting tonight, or he wasn't available. Now, they do have an off day tomorrow, but I would like to hear Aaron Boone's reasoning for why Zach Britton was in that game. Let's go to Charlie and Elmhurst. Charlie, how you doing? Hey, Pat. Hey, Pat. How are you, Charlie? Oh, I mean, Pat, I mean, I'm speechless, to be honest with you. I mean... Well, the once that hit the home run, I went out, straight went outside and blow gaskets and like say something. I screamed, everything, because can't take it. I mean, I can't take that there's another, you know, soul crushing loss. I mean, how many of them have? You could make a list of the entire, like a top five, or like now it has expanded to like top ten or something. Oh, I mean, if you're going to lose, I mean, you're right about 7 to 4. Like, you lose 7 to 6. Instead, boom, what? Boom. I mean, Britain was awful. I mean, as soon as I walked, when he made that walk, I mean, he was having to count 0 and 2 or 1 and 2. I forgot which one was it. It was 0 and 2. And that was the key. That was the key at bat. I agree with you, Charlie. He was ahead in the count 0 and 2, and he lost the batter right before Tim Anderson. And once Tim Anderson comes, I mean, because like you know, you know, as a Yankee fan, you know, like we see this, we see this, like you know, games a lot where anything can happen with the fan. Oh, I mean, yeah, in fact, this, I was like, once, once Stan, Stan hit it, hit it out, it's get the lead. I was thinking about, hey, finally get a gain on the ground on the Red, on the Red Sox. Oh, this week, this week, they, they didn't, they, 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 what is that? Uh, even the game they win. I mean, they don't gain ground because the Red Sox keep winning. And the game they lose, the Yankees lose, is like the Red Sox lose. So it's like nothing's happening. This is a big opportunity. And and the scene yet again, throw games away. Throw games away. And to be honest, there's so many problems aboard this one. Uh, I mean, oh, my God, this is going to be vomiting. Uh, I, I don't know. I can't take this kind of loss no more. I can't take it. It's going it to lose 10 years of my life for these losses. 
You know, it's funny, Charlie, and thanks for the call. It's it's obviously been a different season for the Yankees. You know, the first two and a half, three months were filled with a lot of underachievement, disappointment. And now, since the start of July, the team is obviously playing its best baseball of the season. They rarely lose, but it seems like every time they actually do lose a game, it's in this manner. And tonight, look, to, they're, they're, they're right now, they have 20 guys on the injured list, okay? Tonight, they didn't lose the game because they have 20 guys on the injured list. You, when you have a one-run lead in the bottom of the ninth inning and Zach Britton, one of your best relief pitchers on the mound, that is not a loss because of the myriad injuries. Now, if they lost the game 7-3 because Andrew Heaney didn't have it and they were without Glaber Torres and they were without Gary Sanchez and on and on and on, Anthony Rizzo, well, then you could say, yeah, injuries could have played a part in that loss. But they had a one-run lead. despite They overcame all of that again. And the game was lost to me, the at-bat before Tim Anderson. You get a nice, easy ground out to first to begin the inning if you're Britain. Was that on the first pitch also? It was on the second pitch. You get a strike, you get a ground out, and then the number nine hitter, Sevi Zavala, comes up, and you jump ahead of him 0-2, and you end up losing him and walking him, which brings up Tim Anderson and the first pitch he sees gone to right field. Game over. I mean, the White Sox are a top-level team in the American League. They're going to win their division. They're going to be in the playoffs. And especially with their pitching staff, they're going to be one of the favorites to come out of the American League. And for the Yankees, it's not even about just the the mental. And our last caller, I think, speaks for a lot of Yankees fans. It's not just about the mental anguish of some of these losses they've suffered. I mean, you're 63 and 52. So what's that? That's 115 games. So you have... You have 47 games left. You got to win these games. That was a game tonight that you had. You had. It was money in the bank. You were two outs away. And that's what's disappointing. Because now you've got to go to Chicago and try to right the ship against, again, one of the most talented teams in the American League. So a a rough finish to a terrific night for baseball. Rough finish for the Yankees at the Field of Dreams game uh, in Iowa. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN.